Things move to the back. Nothing stays in the forefront of our brains forever. Words from our guest, Ted Etal, when I asked about how he handles hardship on today's episode. Think about that for a minute. We live in a world where every single minute is amplified and seems like hours. You know, the most recent of, the, of example of this that comes from our experience with the pandemic, right? But no matter how hard, no matter the, how hard it is, no matter how much grief we experience, no matter the rises, no matter the falls, things will always keep moving because nothing is forever. Today, we talk about this with Ted Etal, whose journey led them to be one of the most successful music promoters in upstate New York in a business he never thought he would be in. What do you say? Let's get over it. All right. So our guest today, Ted Etal, was called by one of our staffers here. This is great at Over It as a true legend in the music scene, and then some, dot, dot, dot. We're gonna find out the then some a little bit uh, in, a, in just a few seconds here. Ted has been the go-to for all different genres, with hardcore, metal, punk bands for decades. He's grown more and more over the years in reputation and impact. He's booked thousands of national bands. We'll talk about my experience there with some of his establishment. Um, served countless music bands in every music niche and has become an icon in the music scene upstate New York. Um, he's the owner of Upstate Concert Hall and the concert production company Step Up Presents. Ted, welcome to the Get Over It podcast. Oh, thank you, Chris. Happy All right, to be so here. thank you. So listen, so I was just we we're talking a little bit before we got on. I when I was in, I was in Albany, New York, Upstate New York, ninety eight like ninety eight to two thousand, and then I came back two thousand two for another five years. So when I was around there was Northern Lights, right? And Northern Lights was the place to go where they had names that you would know of, you know what I mean? Sure. Um, and Northern Lights, now that I'm doing my research, um, is no longer and now is where, you know, what the new brand, the name is. So Ted, why don't you go back? Let's go back a little bit in time. Okay. I want to start where I want to understand your interests as a human. You know, you went into a specific thing, like music, that was your thing. Where did that come from? Let's talk about that, and then we can talk about how you got into what your gig is. What, what you Okay. I, uh, I grew up in a very musical family. My father was a jazz aficionado, and my mother was a dancer, and we always had arts in our home. And uh, I had a cousin, Mary June Shepard, who – I have a cousin, Mary June Shepard. And Mary June worked for the – Premier AM DJ, Boom Boom Brannigan, okay. back in the 60s. Legendary, legendary DJ in Troy. She was in Catholic High. She did an internship. She was working there while she was going to Catholic High. And uh, we were starting, my brother and I, my brother played guitar. I played piano. And I wasn't a very good piano player. All I cared about was football, baseball, and basketball. But my parents made me play piano. They didn't make my brother play guitar. So became, they were, so it was, a, they were into music. You liked music, but you weren't, a, you weren't like driven to play an instrument. I wasn't, wasn't driven to play okay. the music. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And it wasn't my passion. Right. But through the music and through playing music, I became very interested in music because music was always in my house. And my brother and I, and my, our whole family was in Atlantic City. And I remember it like it was yesterday. And we're walking down the street. We're on vacation. We're walking down the street. And I hear, I said to my brother, do you hear that? Do you hear that? I can't get no. Yep. Bah, bah, bah. And that was like 
that initial energy, that vibe. I said, oh, man, that is unbelievable. That fall, my cousin Mary June gets tickets for a Jimi Hendrix concert Ooh. at the what was called the Troy Armory, which is up at 15th Street yeah. on RPI's campus. Okay. Sports facility now for RPI. And uh, Mary June took my brother and I, we're probably 14 years old, she took us to see Jimi Hendrix with an opener by the name of The Soft Machine. Okay. Soft Machine was a proggy, legendary prog band. And um, Mary June took us to this show. And Chris, when we walked in the door, for me, it was no turning back. Dude, the I want smell. dude, I can't even imagine. Like I'm I'm thinking yeah. about that with Jimmy. Like, what was that like? It was and you know, don't forget the facility was massive. Right. To us for as kids, you know. And then um it was just so electrifying yeah. the people, the colors, the 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 yeah. clothes, the energy. And you know, we didn't, you know, we were a little too young to buy records right. then, you know, but we were in the culture, we were in the scene. And uh, then there was a local show in the Henry Coatsen Hotel. Okay. And, and Mary June took, not my brother, but took me to that show. And we walked up into the ballroom, up into the third. Or what, maybe time, what, the year we, what year are we now? Oh, are this is like 1965. Okay. You All know, right. you know yep. like that. Okay. And I'm walking up the steps and I see the strobe coming out of the out of the upstairs ballroom blowing, you know, coming down the stairs and you can hear it was a local band. And, uh, and we walked in the door and you, there was that smell, that incense, that yep. patchouli, that, that hippie <laughs> kind of energy and that vibe and the lights and the whole thing. Yeah. And I was like, Oh man, this is cool. This is right. It, this this is, is cool. This is cool. But it gets better. Then Mary June got tickets and took us to see the doors let me tell you uh, something. Mary June's got the hookup or something. Man. Mary June had the hookup at WTRY. <laughs> and, Mary June's uh, got the hookup. Uh, Mary June is, uh, I, to this day, I, I, I mention every one of these events. For real. And Mary June takes us to see the doors at the RPI Fieldhouse. The show was actually put on by a fraternity up there. And it was mesmerizing, you know, to see the doors. And they were on the way up. And it was just unbelievable. Then so, that summer, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go. go. Then, then that summer, Mary June gets Mary tickets. June. Mary June gets tickets for the Doors at SPAC, and my mother dresses my brother and I in tweed sport jackets. It was like at the end of the season, cool out, and we're mom. I don't want to wear a sport jacket. That's not cool, right? Well, we go see the Doors. It was right after the New Haven show where there was a lot of turbulence. When Jim and the band came on stage, the state police completely surrounded the whole front of the stage. And it was like the energy and the vibe and the, just the, 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 the passion of the crowd. It was incendiary. It was amazing. And uh, about two years ago, I was uh, doing a little overnight trip at uh, the Adelphi in Saratoga. And I walk into the library and they had a big giant 50 year SPAC coffee table book. And I start thumbing through the coffee table book and lo and behold, there's the Doors concert in the book really? with the ticket 
$6.50. And there's a shot in the audience. And Chris, this is no lie. Come on. We weren't in it, but I have to tell you, every single person, every guy in the audience had a sport jacket on. It was like looking at an old picture of the Brooklyn Dodgers oh, at Ebbets Field what's in 1950. What's with the sports coat? I, I, you know, that's what it was, that's it what was a did? thing. I guess it was a thing, you know. That's, that's, but, uh, that, that's and it was, great. And it was a picture of Jim on stage with the police. It was a picture of them in the dressing room. Anyways, to make a long story short, that was the door. That was the crack in the door that got me super interested in popular music. So it was like, but it was more than that. It's like, it was like that energy, I feel like, right? Yeah. It was like the whole thing. Uh, it was. It just, right? So, it, so it's the music, which is the sort of lights the fire, but it's that whole experience. I mean, that's Mesmer, mesmerizing. Yeah. So, all right. So now this is, so you have that, you know that, 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 yeah. what that does to you. How do you channel it into something, right? Well, I think well that's, that's uh, where a lot of people... That's the hard part, right? You can yeah, identify yeah. it, but then how do right. you channel it right? Yeah. Well, um, my brother, as I said, was an amazing guitar player, yep. literally a prodigy. And my brother had a band called the Marlins. And I was never, I was more into the sports and my brother yep. was into the music. My brother had the band and they would play all the, the circuit, you know, the CYO centers, yep. St. Augustine's Hall, Lansingburg High Gym, you know, that scene. And uh, they were really young. And they played all the popular songs from the air, you know, uh, In a God of Vida, you know, uh, you know, Young Rascals, all that kind of stuff. And uh, they wanted to add a keyboard player. So I came into the band as the keyboard player. And so that was the, the next step, being in live music, playing it in front of kids, yep. you know, that we grew up with and went to school with. And, you know, the adulation that came with that and, you know, and, and, the, you know, we were starting, you know, like, like girls and meet girls. And it was, you know, I could see that it was a, a good way right. to meet girls, right. you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but, uh, I always had the sports passion, you know? So I told my brother in the band, I, you know, football or something, they wanted to put all the priorities into the band. I wanted to put all my priorities into football, you know? So, uh, I left the band, but it was also, the the era when all of a sudden we started buying music. Okay. We were buying 45s, yep. you know, and we buy 45s. And don't forget back then, nobody had a lot of money. You How know, much was a 45? How much, like a single 45? You know, 45 might've been a dollar 50. All right. You know, $2, you know, dollar 50. And uh, we'd go uh, down to the music store, which was the, uh, the predecessor to, to Music Shack. And yep. the Roy's father, if I if I know the history properly, the, he owned the store. Ended up changing. I can't remember the name of it, but he changed the name to the Music Shacks, which were our legendary yep. record stores here. Yep. So we would take the bus from Lansingburg to downtown Troy. My mother had a beauty salon in downtown Troy. My father owned buildings in downtown Troy, but we at the time now lived in Lansingburg. But, you know, you get on the Fifth Avenue bus at 123rd Street, you know, 10 minutes later, you were downtown, you were by yourself, you'd wander around, you know, and the record store became like a church, just thumbing through the records. Yep. That and experience, there's, been, there's like, experience. see, dude, Ted, I'm like, I'm, yeah. I used to spin records, not to take up your story. I was a, um, yeah. a vinyl DJ for, for a while and there's nothing like... The feel of the vinyl when you're going yeah. through it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. We don't yeah. have that anymore. That experience yeah. is like, it's yeah. gone. It's just click, yeah. click, click. It's very yeah. like, it's a real feel. Yeah. Um, 
Go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. So, 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 you were so I started by, yeah. so I, I started buying music and don't, you know, we could buy one album, maybe a month, you know, and my first record that I ever bought was high tide and green grass by the Rolling Stones. And I think the second record I ever bought was the first doors record, the doors. Okay. And I think maybe the third record might've been, you know, maybe something by the animals, Eric Bird and the animals, you know, and then maybe something by Jethro Tull, and then the next Doors record. So we started to accumulate, but we were still buying 45s. And if like Creedence Clearwater Revival came out with something like uh, Green River, you know, and on the flip side was another great song. I can't remember what it was, but it might have been like, uh, you know, I put a spell on you, right? And I would play that record over and over and over and over and over until my father would run upstairs and take it off the, the turntable and say, if I hear that record <laughs> one more time, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, uh, so, you know, it was a, it was a buildup. Yep. I had the right buildup. I had the right framework. I had the right passion. Yeah, but you had football I, too, no? What happened there? So Well, I played, I played sports every single day of my whole life up until – the time I graduated from high school and uh, um, but it didn't interfere with my love for music. Right. It, I just stopped performing music. I played piano. I had a concert piano teacher. His name was Herman Rosenthal, lived on Washington Park in downtown Troy, where we had lived previous before moving to the Berg. And uh, when I was 13, I was no 13. I was nine or 10. And I was just starting to play Pop Warner football. And uh, I went for a lesson. And uh, Herman never showed up. I walked out of my mother's beauty salon. I said, Mom, Herman never showed up. And uh, lo and behold, Herman dropped out of a heart attack. And when Herman left our, our life, my life as a piano teacher, my piano career went out the door <laughs> and, and, and you know so I was able to concentrate more on sports you know but I always had the passion of buying and listening to music and uh, that passion never ended so all right so then what's your first gig in the in this game like so how do you get into the business side of this and what what's that okay. like okay um Right, because you know, you know, I was always, I was always, music, right? So, and I was always a concert. Get... I was always a huge concert goer. Okay, uh, you know there wasn't a big, you know there wasn't a, well there was a club scene, but it wasn't, you know, uh, you know we rented a door, Santana, you know the popular, gigantic classic rock that was growing then, and we would go to Tanglewood, we would go to, uh, um, uh, uh, you know, SPAC, uh, we would go on college. We'd yep. see college shows. I was a huge fan of Egger and Johnny Winter, and Johnny Winter specifically. But Egger came out with a record called Egger Winter's White Trash, real dirty rock, you know, horn sections, phenomenal. And uh, 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 Egger did a college tour, and it was Union College and their little church setting that they have on the campus. They played at New Pulse in the gym. Uh, they played it only at in the gym. And we went on that, that like when, when kids go on little like, tours yeah, following yeah, the bands yeah. that they love, you know, like you, we were like kids 10 years ago, 15 years ago, we were following around the fallout yep. boy, you know, yeah, yep. we were following around Edgar winter, you know, and uh, we'd go to Madison square garden, see, you know, Johnny winter, Jethro, it's all 
we go to the palace to see all the big shows. So, you know, we were, we were fans. And as our fan, as a fan, music became a giant part of our life. In 1990, I was working for Metroland, the alternative okay. news weekly. Yeah. And I'm a, I'm a runner and I run with the general manager of the Albany Marriott. We became like running partners, you know, weekends and stuff like that. And one day we're running and I also handled the account for Metroland. And uh, one day, uh, uh, Brett, his name was the manager. He said, you know, he says, we have a dark Sunday here at the Marriott. Uh, they had a live music venue, very corny. Uh, it was called Mermaids. It had like a mermaid theme. But they had an amazing room, amazing room, uh, great sight lines, great stage, great sound, great. The sound sounded good in there, you know, and they would do cover bands Thursday, Friday and Saturday. Where was they were this? Dead, uh, Ted, where was this? Albany Marriott is on Wolf Road. Okay. Okay. All right. So it's at the Marriott. Okay, go ahead. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, and uh, he had Sunday's Dead and Metroland had been talking about getting back into the live music business and supporting it with editorial, with, um, you know, reviews, yep. uh, uh, sponsoring concerts, sponsoring shows, that whole thing. And I had all the concert venues and I had all the concert promoters. So I was starting to make inroads with, you know, the concert people that were putting on shows at Saratoga Winners, the people that were putting shows on at SPAC. Um, I handled those accounts. Um, uh, one of the, one of the big concert promoters at the time was uh, Keith Beckia. And the name of the, his company was, uh, um, I'm having a senior moment. I'll think of it. Uh, anyways, so I was doing, you know, I was doing the advertising for them. So I was, we were deeply involved. Right. And Metroland was behind sponsoring shows. You know, they'd get free tickets and we'd go to Saratoga Winners and see shows. So I was, I'm, I'm in now the you're business. Now in it, right. Now, right. now I'm really in it and I'm, and I'm taking an interest in it, but I'm never taking an interest in it like, I want to be a concert promoter. Right. I'm just taking a business and interest in it because that's the business that right. I'm in. Right. Exactly. I'm in the entertainment business, you know, being working for Metroland and Metroland was a very social company, Chris, very social, um, you know, party for this party for that party for this party, best of parties, this type of party, you know, it's phenomenal, amazing job, amazing company. Um, so, uh, Brett says, I want to do, I want, to, I want to do a battle of the bands. I want Metroland to sponsor it on the Sunday nights. So I go back this to This is management. at that place, that mermaid place that we're at talking At the mermaid about? place, okay. at the mermaid place. All right. So I put together this event where a Metroland live music concert series, and we did a battle of the bands, and we solicited it to the general public that the bands send in their cassettes when that was a thing, and we got – bazillion cassettes and we would listen to all of them and I came up with the idea of doing five different nights we'll do a hard rock night we'll do a rock and blues night we'll do an alternative night we'll do a uh, an R&B and hip-hop night and we'll do a jazz and a folk night kind of st stuff that you know mirror each other and then we'll have a grand finale and we got all kinds of sponsors and we got all kinds of gifts. We got recording studio time. We got guitars. We got, we got a lot of stuff. But the amazing thing, not only did I meet all the bands, the prominent bands in the market, 
But what I did is I went out and I partnered up with all the radio stations mm. that were playing the music that we were going to have at, at the, the Marriott. At the Marriott. Correct. Smart. And the key, the key partnership that I made, two key partnerships, one was EQX and the other was, believe it or not, Sienna, their radio, their college radio station. The Saint. The Saint. And the Saint at the time had local kids literally running the station yeah. and running it like it was a professional station. And the programming, Chris, was hard rock, hardcore, metal, hip-hop, R&B. And it would rotate. And like I said, the, the, the kids who had all the passion, the local kids who had the passion, they were the ones who they, ran, they ran the it. station. Yeah. Yeah. They ran it. They ran it. And they ran it like a business. So when I partnered up with them, in reality, I can't take credit for this. They introduced me to the local scene. And every show that we ended up doing was a blowout. And you, and you all did them there. You did them still at the same did, place? Did, all, did them all at the Marriott. And, and it, I and always, wait, but, but Ted, how are you getting paid on these? So like explain to me. Nobody's getting paid. No Nobody's getting paid. The, all the, all the money. If there was, was there a fee? If there was, or wasn't, uh, there, was, there, was, there was, there was, you, there was no fee. any money, whether, whether I never made an, I never made a nickel for the first three years I was in the business. Okay. I just, I so just, you were just forming all the connections. Forming all the connections. Building, yep. Okay. I, I brought in, I brought in a production team. I brought in a lighting guy. I had a mentor, Joe Mealy legendary blues guitar player here. Joe was my, my great friend that I grew up with. Joe played in some, to this day, plays in some of the most amazing bands in this area. Um, legendary old classic rock cover band called Emerald City, blues bands. Joe's a legend here. And Joe took me under his wing, showed me the production. He did the production and he was super mellow. And, you know, and, you know, he, he, he raised me up at this, you know, and, uh, we, he brought in a light person. So I learned the business from the ground floor up. But my expertise was always marketing. I knew how to market stuff because I had done it all my life. Did it at the Times Union before for 10 years. Then I went on to Metroland. Before, there there. Was, before there was the digital advertising that we have it was, now. No, it was, that, was, that was... This is relationship building. Getting that your was an inkling in somebody's eye. Trust yeah, me. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, it it might have been in some movies... Right. You know, but it wasn't right. in reality. Right. So, so we were doing it the old fashioned way, by the seat of your pants. You know, that's how I learned the business. And so every show was monstrous. The, the, the finality was monstrous. Every show sold out. I met all the great artists, became very close to them. So when the event ended, all the kids in the bands, and all the people that I partnered up with on the marketing side all said to me, Teddy, you and Metroland can't leave this business. These are the best shows we've had here. These shows are amazing. You've got to stay in the business. And I had no, I, I never in a million years, Chris, did I ever think I was going to stay in the business. I just figured, okay, I'll get my Sunday nights back and right. I got my day job, you know right. what I mean? And I'll go live a normal life, right. you know? So I said, well, what the heck? I said, I got free time. I'll, I'll, I'll continue to do it. And Brett at the Marriott, he didn't want it to end. So we started two shows on Sunday nights there, and we'd have three great bands for $5. That's when we started charging. 
And I would give all the money to the bands. I would pay Joe Mealy. We'd split up all the money equally. And we'd have an alternative night. And then we'd have, uh, you know, an R&B night. And then we'd have another night. And I'd started to do things that people told me, dude, you can't do that. You can't mix up the genres. And I said, why not? And mm-hmm. I'd have like Ernie Williams with like, uh, like uh, you know, the heavy female fronted uh, uh, um, uh, rock, hard rock band Crisis, which I th- believe Dan produced the record or he may have put the record oh, out. Oh, really? Yes, yes. So, so actually, you know what, man? That's like, that's really cool. That's very like forward thinking of you because like, I think the tradition would be don't pick something and just go in on that thing and well, let people come yeah. to you. But the other side is why not? Why? Why limit it? Just why not? Let's, let's I bring, said, why, yeah. I know, where, where's the law, you right. know? But what would happen? What my goal was, Chris, was I wanted to have the, the fan base, kids who were coming to these shows, to not only see Crisis, but let them see Ernie Williams, this legendary 85-year-old right. blues man, you know? And let them give see for themselves. Another, give people another perspective. Exactly. Because they would never go otherwise. Yeah, man. You know? And when I asked the bands, the bands were hip enough to understand that this was a good way to get new faces in front of the artists. Right. You know? Yep. So that's how we started. That's I started mixing and matching. But we had some beautiful shows there and we did that uh seven eight nine months but what was happening was because i was doing the advertising for all of the clubs saratoga winners qe2 bogeys um uh you know they all wanted they all kept on saying how come you can't do those shows right. at my club right. how come you're doing them at the marriott you're right. Right? Right, right and i was saying well you know this is just a hobby for me you know whatever. anyways so I no, always, nobody cares until they care, Ted, you know, that's what I'm right. That's right. <laughs> so I always had, I always loved heavy music, Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin, you know, uh, came up in that era, you know, edgy music doors, yep. you know? Um, so I, uh, I put together a show with the Troy core kids, the Troy hardcore kids. And I called it the St. Valentine's day metal massacre. <laughs> and it was a Sunday night. It happened to be Valentine's Day, and uh, it was the three biggest bands from Troy. Heavy, I mean, brutal. Harbinger, uh, Attica. I mean, brutal. Heavy, 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 heavy. And the room held maybe 300 people, and I think we stopped letting people in at like 450. Oh, right? man. And it was, it was insanity. Just- at one point, all you could see was feet. That's all you could say. And the staff was petrified. Oh, they were probably freaking out. Freaking out. And I remember Mike Stack like it was yesterday. And Mike said, Teddy, his band was headlining Harbinger. And he said, Teddy, the first note we play, I want to forewarn you, this place is going to explode. And I said, Mike, we're going to go out of here with our heads held high, you know? And it was insanity. And it was the most fun show I'd ever, ever been a part of in my life, you know. And uh, the room got destroyed. The kids wrecked the room. Mm-hmm. Tore bathroom dividers out. Oh, tore sinks out of the ladies' room. Uh, staff said they got their pocketbooks stolen. Oh, you know man. what I mean? I mean, it was chaos, but it was, it was worth every second. I'm not lying to you. 
So that was the motivation. That was the stimuli for me to say, I love this business. I love this business. I love the energy, the kids, the vibe, the interactions, the conversations, the music, the time and the energy that these local bands were putting into their music. And, and, And at the time, the local bands, Stigmata, Harbinger, these great, I mean, they were at national level back in 1990, 89, 91. I mean, monster bands. And they had fan bases. And they also had WVCR promoting it. Right. Which was huge. 25, I think they had a 25,000 watt radio station, you know? So you t- so then that's it? That was the, then you went and you started it? You went from just a Sunday night to a thing? Uh, 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 let me finish, let me finish the scenario at the Marriott. So the next day I go to work, it's a Monday. I get a call first thing in the morning from the, not from Brett, but from the food and beverage manager. And he says to me, Teddy, you got to come up here right now. So I go up. He takes me on a tour to a place. He was looking pretty, pretty, uh, it was a gloom environment. Let's put it this way. Oh, he man. takes me around the place and he shows me all the damage and he turns around to me and he says, I'm sorry, we can't do these shows here anymore. <laughs> and the first thought that comes into my mind was, this is a blessing. Now I can start taking right. all these shows because I felt obligated to do them at the Marriott and I, you know. Right. I, 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 they gave me the chance. And right, I, you didn't really I, want to break up. No, but no, now, no. Yeah, right. So now I had the opportunity to start taking them into the clubs. And once we started taking the shows into the clubs, that was, it turned it into a cool thing, you know, because the QE2 back then was super cool. The so wait, dark. so the, the job, so explain to me. So you, you, when you say taking them to the clubs, that means you are coming with, you are coming to the club with, the artists, the the night, the whole production. What do you What are you coming to them with? You're come like. I, tell they me do process. nothing. I bring my own security guy. I bring my own door oh, so guy. So you're one stop shop. You I'm just a one stop shop. Okay. I do all the catering myself. All right. I hire a kid to help me. You know, um, uh, Mike Asardi, who's in Dan Dan mm-hmm. Dan's band, the Clay People, was with me from the from the the right from the start. You know. Um, and uh, uh, so we started doing hardcore shows and I'd ask the band and I get, I'd sit down with the kids. I'd go to lunch with some of the kids in the bands. I'd go to lunch with some of the kids in the scene and they'd say, Teddy, we want to see uh, integrity. Uh, we want to see Sub-Zero. We want to see, um, uh, you know, all the legendary hardcore bands. You know, we want to see the casualties. So what I would do, they would give me the list. They would give me the bands and then I'd go out and do the research and I'd try to get the bands to come and play. And it just builds. So it's like old school market research, man. You old get school out, market get research. out there asking questions. That's old awesome. school market research. And it started to build and build and build and build. And the local bands got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. We would do, we did a show at Saratoga Winners with four local bands. And we, like, again, I, I, I love changing up the, 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 you know, the styles a little yep. bit, you know, and we had a punk band. We had a female fronted, you know, kind of gothy band. We'd have Stigmata, which was hardcore. And we had Clay People, which was progressive, progr- you know, and uh, industrial progressive. Show did like a thousand people, Saratoga winners, completely sold out. And it was event after event after event. Right. It was consistent. Where this thing started consistent. And I, I never stopped. 
every week we would have shows and we built. So wait a minute, are you built. still doing this? Are you still doing this in like spare time or is this just spare your time? time. Spare time, spare time. The blessing was, was that Metroland was right next door to the QE2 and my house was on Spring Street, literally across the street. So we were so at QE2. to go very far. Right. They didn't have to right. go far. It was yeah. no logistical from here to there. Saratoga Winners was another thing, you know, bogeys. And so we started to outgrow bogeys. I mean, it was, or out, outgrow the QE2. And, and of course, because when we were doing shows at the QE2, the other clubs got mad because I was doing shows at the QE2. But the kids wanted to be at the QE2 and they wanted to do shows there. But it only held 250 people. If you have 400 people in a room like that, right, it's yeah. chaos, you know, and it's dangerous. So, we started moving around. But the reason that the scene built so big was that the bands, Chris, were so good. I could have been the Steve Jobs of marketing, you know? But it, uh, but, in reality- they were the reason why, you're saying? The, like the, bands, were- the bands were the reason that people came right, out. Right, but you, you were able to put it together to give them the forum, you know, the forum and the outlet to do that we, stuff. We were, able, we were able to put it together where the shows were organized, they were professional, everybody got paid. Um, it was, you know, it was, it was a group effort. You know, I'd go to the band, what do you want for a guarantee? They'd, you know, I'd walk in the door, I'd take my whole paycheck from Metroland, I'd walk in the door with every single nickel, you know, and if I lost every single nickel, I ate ramen for that week. You know what I mean? <laughs> but uh, it was just an amazing, amazing build up to the next step. So to, like, you know, within the time we have, tell me where Northern Lights came from because I want to make sure my own selfish reasons because okay. I grew up around knowing Northern Lights. Okay. So, how did that so come when from? I'm at Saratoga Winters doing shows, now all of a sudden, the owner of Northern Lights who just took over, he comes to me because I'm doing the advertising for Northern Lights too. Big okay. advertiser. Big. And he now wants to start doing some of these shows. So, but now I got Saratoga Winners, which is not as big, but almost as big, you know. But Northern Lights was a little classier, you know, and I wanted to step it up. And um, so I started doing shows at Northern Lights. And I, you know, and. Uh, same and genre, same like metal, hard? Or that, no? Well, well, at the beginning, but about five or six years into my career, I had angels come into my, into my life. I had mentors come into my life. And I started booking shows with booking agents. Booking agents started hearing about our scene and booking agents started calling me. And now I'm saying to myself, geez, I, is this what I really want? Do I really want to be in this business at this level where booking agents are calling me and I'm booking bands, putting offers in? So I said- So booking agents, just for everyone, booking agents are calling you saying like, can I get my guy or my group in your thing? That's what they're coming to you now. Exactly, exactly. Because no hardcore bands, no punk bands, they didn't have agents. You just dealt with the band, you know? So now I got people calling me and then out of nowhere, I get a call from- who today is one of my not only lifetime best friends, but one of my two greatest mentors, Artie Quitschoff and Marcel Timot, who were from Buffalo. And they wanted to come into Albany and do shows. They had a company uh, that they were looking to expand and they were already in Rochester and they were already in Syracuse and they wanted to come to Albany. And one of the agents that I was doing business with told them about me and we did a show together. And from that show, we made another show and then we did another show 
And the next thing I know, out of nowhere, I'm in the real music business, <laughs> learning the real music business, learning how to settle a show, not on a napkin, you know what I mean? Yep. But, you know, the economics of it, the marketing of it, the, the settlement of it, uh, the magnitude of it, I learned from two amazing people. Marcel, over the course of the last, jeepers, 20 years, has books back. He books uh, a Darien Lake for Live Nation. And Artie went to work for Live Nation, but didn't like it. And he ended up owning his own company. And Artie today has a similar business as mine. He owns the club, the Town Ballroom in, in Buffalo. But he also does concerts other places, you know, like uh, with another company like, like Step Up Presents. So I had, out of nowhere, these amazing mentors came into my life. And another great mentor, John Peters from Mass Concerts, one of the most successful, you know, independent concert promoters in the country at the time. And uh, John owns the Palladium. He owns, yeah. the, uh, you know, he, he owns three clubs. It's just an amazing man, an amazing mentor. And, uh, you know, and, and I met John as an advertiser at Metroland. So, you know. <laughs> All roads go back to Metroland, man. Metroland was the key, believe yeah, it or it was. not. It was. Because without Metroland, I have no credibility, you that, know. You know? That, and Mary, that and Mary June, right? Was that that and Mary June, exactly. <laughs> so, so, then, so then we started doing shows at Northern Lights, and I started partnering shows at Northern Lights with Artie and Marcel because they were booking bigger shows. Okay. And then I started booking shows at Northern Lights with my current partner, Stan Levenstone, who also was booking shows at Northern Lights. Okay. So, but Stanley's not from here. He's from New Jersey. He's not here. So these people came into my life all about the same time. And it took my company from DIY to more of a legit accounting, you know, yep. uh, like, you know, it became a real legit company. And, uh, and uh, so when did built. you break off? When did you break off from Metroland? When did that happen? When was, this, this is where we say, when did you get, it, well, when did well, you get this over This is it? funny. I never, ever, ever left my job at Metroland, ever. <laughs> you I stayed at Metroland until the day the IRS came in the door and put the chain around the place, Chris. I never left. I stayed there until the bitter end. That's awesome. You know? I got a lot of energy. I could do a lot of jobs, you That's know? That's great. And, uh, because it was a trim, it was there were a million perks at Metroland, right? Especially if you're in my business, you right. know. I got the advertising for a fraction of the cost. Um, you know, uh, uh, kids like seeing their names in, ba in 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 the newspaper. Yep. You know, so I never left Metroland ever, and I'd probably still be there today if it was open. <laughs> yeah, you know. But uh, um, but when it ended, when it ended, I just say to myself, "Damn, how did you do all of this?" You know? Yeah, really. It's amazing. The human spirit can take it can a lot Can take on. you through, I know. Yeah. So, but the Northern Lights becomes yours at some point? You buy it? Like well, I'm going to, I'm going to, we'll evolve into that. So, now I'm doing shows everywhere. And we're at Bogies. We're at Valentine's, where we would do our small shows. The next bigger shows, we'd go to Bogies. Then Bogies closes. So, now we're at Valentine's for our small shows. We did spectacular shows there. Um... Uh, and again, Howard Glassman, who was the manager of, of, of uh, Bogies when I started, who was another mentor and another supporter of mine. And, uh, you know, to this day, I love Howard. He was so supportive of what I did because 
you know, hardcore and punk and, and metal, you know, it's not easy on the venue. Right. It's not easy on the staff, you know. So you have to have an understanding manager. Right. But we were bringing in the business, you know. And uh, people overlook some things when they're doing business, you know. And uh, um, and we were at Valentine's. We were doing great shows there. We outgrew the QE2, but the QE2 was also having some severe financial difficulties. So we moved. we moved where – the, the doors were open to us, you know? So now I'm at Saratoga Winners doing the bigger shows, you know, the Guars, the, you know, the bigger shows, mm-hmm. um, the Downs, you know, the big, mm-hmm. the big heavier, the bigger heavy bands. So now we're also doing some of the cleaner stuff at, at Northern Lights. So now I'm clashing between, I get Saratoga Winners every time I do a show there, the guy at Northern Lights complains, right. how come you know? every time I do a show at Northern Lights, Salam and his brother complain, you know, right. so I'm trying to play it. Well, you know, I always, you know, I'm trying to make everybody happy. I'm on vacation in California and I have 20 shows on the schedule at Saratoga winners. Salam calls me and he says, Teddy, he says, I'm closing the doors. Oh. I had a big fight with my brother. He said, and, and, and we're closing. I'm oh. going to try to sell the club. So I took all the shows that I had at, winners and move them up to Northern Lights miraculously. I was able to do all of it while I was on vacation in California visiting my brother. So I moved everything up there. Saratoga winners closed. Our, and now Northern Lights was our big venue. But we still had Valentine's right. as our small venue. Okay. So, okay. So, but now we're starting to do college shows. We're at Siena doing what I'm doing with, with, you know, Artie and Marcel. We're doing yep. Palace Theater shows. Now I'm really learning the business. So we start doing shows at Northern Lights. So we're at Northern Lights maybe, I don't know, three, four, fifteen. When was this? When was this? We took over the room 15 years ago. So it was 2005. Okay. Yep. All right. 2006, like that. So I get a call one day from the landlord. And I could see some holes in his operation, the guy that owned the club, you know. He owed me money. He couldn't pay the settlements. He'd write me checks that would bounce, you know, all the telltale signs. Mm-hmm. So I get a call from the landlord, uh, the manager of the mall up in Clifton Park. And he says to me, Teddy, he says, uh, uh, I'm going to close Northern Lights down. He said, I'm going to shut him down. He hasn't paid the rent for, I don't know, a year, right? So he says, do you want the club? And I'm like, uh I want a club like I want a hole in the head. You know what I mean? But if we didn't have the club, right. we don't have a business. You got nothing, right? Got nothing. So Stanley and I, my partner, we buy the club and we redo it, you know, which was a blast. Um, and I looked at it like, well, we can put, you know, $400,000 into a club and, and, and turn it into something nice instead of the dump it was you know, put dressing rooms and showers and, and, and make it, you know, clean it up. And, you know, and so we put the money into it and um, it was worth every, every, every minute of it. It was spectacular, you know, and we were able to build the business on that move, you know, that we owned a club. Now we were club owners. And you, you know. started to diversify genres again or what? You started- We always diversified, but we yeah. were really able to diversify when we were in Northern Lights because we had, uh, we had the room. 
We, we, we had a nice, clean room. We had tons of space. We had great parking. You know, we had everything. So let me give you the story about the name. Yep. So unbeknownst to us, and we didn't have a liquor license when we took over the club. So, and if we had shuttered the doors of the club, we were going to lose Dropkick Murphy's shine down. We had monster after right. monster right. after monster after monster. So we didn't want to shutter the club and, and, and take the hit of not having that income coming in. So we made the previous owner an offer to stay on, use his liquor license, right? And he would be uh, behind the scenes. He would have no say in anything. Uh, he could have his office space, you know, and we would continue on until we until we right, you made got, the move yeah. to get our own legal license, right? So it was a nightmare of a scenario, having a previous owner. So unbeknownst to us, not only didn't he pay the rent, but he didn't pay any bills. <laughs> so when we took over the club, we'd get a, 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 a twelve thirteen thousand $13,000 bill from the sound company that he was leasing that he didn't pay. We'd get a, a $4,000, $5,000 bill from the electrician that he didn't pay. There was a fire up there. I don't know if you remember. There was a fire up there. And, you know, electrician had to come in and redo all this, that, and that. But it was endless. And I said to my managers, I said to Stanley, we can't continue like this. we got to get him out of here. So we, uh, we uh, threw him out. Physically threw him out. Went down to the liquor. Went down to the liquor authority. We were still paying him, but we threw him out. And while we were paying him, we went down. We got our own liquor license. And when we got our own liquor license, we changed the name. Okay. We had to. We had to run from the name because the name had such a bad reputation to it. And although I loved the name, the name had a bad reputation to it, and it also didn't pay any bills. Um, so that was the upstate concert hall. That was the switch. That's that was the switch. All so right. that's where that name came from. And, and, uh, and so now though, you're now moving, correct? Our, our lease our, was up. Our lease was up in December. We're moving to a new club in downtown Albany in what was the Capitol rep building on Pearl street. Our lease was up in December. We were supposed to have had the club built and in by August and then the landlord in um, Pearl Street was going to cover our expenses at Upstate Concert Hall so we could operate from last August straight through to the time the lease ended. So we would have paid the lease in Northern Lights. That would have been empty. We would have been in Albany, would have been up and running. The builder is, has, is a developer, and they have – 800 new apartments in downtown Albany that are going to be 10 minutes to our door. So he wanted to make us, he approached us on making us the centerpiece of an arts district that they're going to, that they're recreating down there. Um, and we were going to be the centerpiece and he was marketing and he's marketing the apartments to young people, you know, everyone, yeah. a potential customer of ours yeah. to, you know, this is going to be what you have if you live here. So that was the attraction. Um, they're making tremendous progress on the building. We have a new name that I will, I have not disclosed to anybody yet, but I think this is the prime time to do oh, it. Oh man, let's do this. 
Let's do it. Okay. Um, because everybody's asking us, when does this appear? When does this go live? Uh, not for not for another month or so. Oh, that, that's perfect. That's perfect synergy. All so right. we're gonna call we're gonna call the club uh, Empire Live. That's the upstairs, the thousand Empire. cap room, Empire Live, and the, and we have a four hundred cap room underneath that you have to go around into the alley to get into. It's really super cool, right? Big long room like Bogies was. Yeah, uh, that's and we're cool. gonna call and we're gonna call that the Empire Underground. The Empire Underground. Hell yeah. yeah. Ted just yeah. drop dropping yeah. the new names yeah. on the Get Over It podcast. Yeah. Hell yeah. 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 So yeah. when yeah. did what are you thinking? What is the timeline? Like, well, the timeline is the builder tells us we could be in the place by the end of March, but whatever is uh, happening in the world I mean, today. I, I, I mean, I don't think we'll be in there until so, fall. So that's, Ted, that's, the, that's the last thing I want to ask you about before we have to go. And that is, okay. like, you know, in this business you've seen, I'm sure you've seen a lot of things, right? A lot of different things. Uh, but have this, what has happened in this past year is unique to a business like yours, right? I mean, what hits it harder, obviously it's like, you know, what, like, would you ever think something like this? And how is it, as it, is it going to change something about how you operate going forward? Do you think it's just a, well, like a terrible blip? I, I mean, we've, we, we've been always like seen, to go through this. We've always seen changes in our business. Every business goes through changes, you know. Uh, uh, when somebody comes to the door and we, they, they show an ID, they're definitely going to have to show some type of a form that they had the vaccine. So that's certainly going to be a change. Uh, will people have to come with masks on? I certainly hope not because I think that'll be – Hmm. that'll be unattractive. You know what I mean? Because, you know, we're an attractive business. People like to look at each other's faces. Guys right. come out to meet girls at this, you know? Right. right. Um, but, uh, uh, I, I mean, the, it, the devastating part of this thing is the fact that live music is part of people's lexicon. It's part of their lives. Right. It's ingrained in I've them. heard that from so many and, people, man. Like some things like that. I did like, I can't wait till I can go and just listen yeah, to live music. Yeah. Like I've heard That's that. That's all I hear. That's all I hear everywhere I go. And I think because of that pent up rage that people have about not being able to go out and see live music, that when we're open, that it is just oh, going to be like a be bunch juicy. of... Yeah. It's going to be like Vikings coming in and coming in from Norway. You know what I mean? Uh, 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 they're going to come in with ha hatchets in their hands. You know, I mean, but, uh, it's, but it's one of these things that I've been talking about, like during this, during this sort of time, it really makes you have these, these new, like much higher appreciations for the things sure. that you really, that you liked, but maybe not realize you really liked. Yeah. Yeah, and then it gets yeah. taken from you and you're like, whoa, you know what yeah. I'm saying? So like, yeah, yeah. I hope but, the but, you know, but, but Chris, uh, well, the, you know, we, we're, we're, we're smart people. You know, my managers are a lot smarter than I am. I could say that with a clear conscience, uh, Jen and Dave. And uh, what I just admire about Jen and Dave, what they've done over the pandemic is Dave is in a master's degree program in business. Uh, at UAlbany and Jen went back to school, has taken 18 credit hours and they're learning, they're, they're, they're back in school learning stuff that can apply to our business. Yeah. So the future is looking spectacular. We have a magnificent landlord who's building as a beautiful club with two rooms in it. We're in the heart of Albany. Um, uh, you know, if we didn't have this scenario, uh, I would probably coming here with a different tone, you know, right, right, but we're yeah. very, very, very enthusiastic. I haven't allowed this pandemic to, to Good. torture me, you know, Good. Um, 
I, I just, I heard from my people. I heard from my, the people that do this on a part-time basis. Right. I heard for the bands, you know, I heard for, you yeah. know, just the interaction that people have and the love of music and the social activities that come from it. You know, uh, uh, you know, I'm wondering how many of the great bands that we booked, are they able to survive? Right. Exactly. You know, are we ever, are we ever going to see them are they again? Gonna, right. Was that the last time you saw them? Last right? time we saw them, you know, because a year can be like 10 years to some people. Right. Right. You know, people get older, they want to do other things. Are they going to have the money to be able to start it up again? You know, I know everybody's been hurting this business. Agencies, you know, labels, you name it, at the hierarchy. You know, we're going to go back to a whole different paradigm. All the booking agents that we had that were at, you know, uh, uh, um, you know, paradigm or, or, or uh, you know, higher all the all the different agencies, they moved around like it was a, like it was a chess game. Right. We don't even know where they are. <laughs> well, we, we will know. We, we know, but it's been impossible to follow. You know, John Doe went from here to there. You know, Mary Doe went from there to there. And it's like, when this thing starts, there's new agencies. Agencies have been slashed by 50%, 60%. You know, marketing people that I do business with every single day, are they still going to be there? You know, so it's going to be a different energy. It'll We're be different, but, it, but you're, but it, you're going to do it. Like, I mean, that's We're it, doing right? It. You're yeah, going to do yeah, it the yeah. way it is. Empire live empire yeah. underground. Hell yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So but last, last minute or two, I, this is something I asked people on the show before, like I close it is, you know, I think people in life and in business, they eventually hit a wall or they struggle. That's, this is our, what we call on the show, like our get over it moment. So if someone's listening to this and they're going to take some, do you have advice for them or something when they're feeling stuck or they're feeling like they can't, they can't get old. Like what, it, what do you want to say to someone like that to keep, you know, you know like that, that you just yeah. got to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, number one, if you're in a business that you have passion for and that you love, that passion will never leave ever, ever, ever. And this year, well, let's look at it as what it was. It yep. was a pause, you yep. know? Yep. And a year is not that long a time, you know? The first show that we have, the nothing stays in the forefront of your brain from ever, Chris. It moves to the back. And this will move to the back. And whatever business that you're in, you know, when you are back in business, if you have had this kind of a pause, like I have, like we have, um, trust me when I tell you, it, it, once we strike the first note, this will be over with. And we'll be looking nothing but forward. He is Ted Etall, Empire Live, Empire Underground. Stay tuned for more information. By the time the show drops, hopefully we'll hear and we'll know more about it. I am Chris Fasano. This is the Get Over It podcast where people come together to discuss the various ways to stop just getting through it and start mm -hmm. getting over it. Ted, thank you so much, mm -hmm. man. Appreciate it. Uh, thank you, Chris. It's a great pleasure. Mm -hmm.